Hello, everyone, and welcome to Legends of the New Republic, a Star Wars book club podcast reading Star Wars novels from the Legends universe set after Return of the Jedi. This week, we are continuing through our uh, journey through Truce at Bakura by Kathy Tyers. And uh, when last we left, uh, everything, uh, let's see, C-3PO was driving around in a Stormtrooper costume. And uh, Han is breaking Leia out of another prison with no plan for getting out afterwards. Hmm. I'm David, and I am one of your co-hosts. And joining me tonight are... Hi, I'm Chris, and please um, tweet David as often as possible. Um, make Star Wars drunk again so that we can make this a drinking podcast. Uh, and I'm Jason, and I definitely second that. Um, yes, alcohol is good. I'm Kat, and I also support making this a drinking podcast as long as we drink responsibly. Have you seen Wine Moms? They know what's up. <laughs> We are uh, in chapter 15 of Truce at Bakura this week, uh, and this is a big one, so we, we may stay in chapter 15, we'll see. Um, we begin our chapter with Gario uh, Captison, uh, Bakuran senator, taking flowers to her friend Epi Belden. Um, she is now worried that Epi's dementia, which we've established earlier, will render Epi unable to process the fact that her husband, Orn Belden, also a member of the Bakuran Senate, has been arrested and killed in a quote-unquote accident hmm. by Governor Narius of the Imperial Garrison. Uh, Epi, however, completely shocks Garyl. Um, she's completely lucid when Garyl shows up. She's been watching the news, already knows about Orn, and uh, is already trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> if she was watching the news, is she actually lucid, though? <laughs> this was the 90s though <laughs> <laughs> this was back when we trusted the news what's even better because she's like she's gone from like completely incapable of of processing the world around her to all right right back to the revolution i was leading before all this happened i just i found this hilarious because not only is epi just like she's just sort of like oh wow i've lost so much time to having a severe crippling mental attack performed on me by the governor uh i guess i'll just go right back to overthrowing him hey look as as somebody who is disabled and and has chronic health issues if one day i woke up and it turns out that some um force sensitive um gay rights jedi came by (laughs) and just (laughs) That's yes. fair. That's crucial to his characterization. <laughs> if if any handsome twink who happened to be force sensitive came by and just healed me of every single physical disability that I have, everything that makes, you know, life significantly harder for me. Um yeah, that would be my response. I would absolutely just be like, "Okay, I've lost time." Time to go screw with the government. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing balance to the gays. So, a bit of a thing, backtracking on one of the older episodes, the one that just came out um, recently, uh, when y'all were talking about Big Top Energy. (laughs) 
I was imagining a whole different concept of that, so... Oh, no. This well, is the difference between gays and straights. No, see, oh, no, no, no. You see, I was picturing... going with that, but but that you the way I was hearing it, you guys were talking about, like, you know, uh, the, the final thing is sounding like a circus energy type thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, you but, were but... thinking of Hunter Hunter in that one episode with the guy with all the tops, and that was the big top energy you thought we were talking about. Just Governor Narius is the Lord of Beyblade. Uh. <laughs> he just sees Luke Skywalker and he's like, let's Beyblade. Yeah, remember a few intros ago when I said, you know, my job here is to smile and nod at all the anime references. <laughs> I'm doing it again right now. But uh, I would like to talk about a different aspect of Epi's reaction here. Yeah, please. He already knows that Orn is dead. Mm-hmm. And she's specifically dissociating herself purposefully from the need to grieve over that. And yeah, she does say that specifically. Being played on the media as he died of heart failure. And um, because I've confirmed that um, we don't care about China, unlike Disney. Uh, specifically the Chinese government in this case um, we see that happen in real life we've seen it happen throughout history and we've specifically seen it happen during the Hong Kong protest where Mm -hmm. people were being taken into police custody um, because they were protesting something that the government was doing very, very wrong because of massive human rights abuses mm-hmm. and violations of basic autonomy. And they were showing up dead. And it was claimed that they were, um, they had committed suicide or, or that there had been an accident or that they had an underlying health issue, as it turned out. I mean, it's pretty much the corrupt government agency playbook number one move. Yes. And this is something that I think is very, very interesting for um, a book that was written in the 90s to specifically um, build up this point. You know, we've seen uh, from previous chapters that and and from the movies, of course, that the Empire is very corrupt. But this is an interesting written fiction example of how that can happen. Mm-hmm. Because people ignored Epi, because people um, ignored the fact that um, their rights were being taken away, that um, there was more and more control happening in the public school system. That actually harkens back to one of the first chapters where they're talking about or where um, Gariel is thinking about issues within the public school system. And uh, Governor Nereus used those issues in order to get people to give him and thereby the empire more and more power, more and more ways to um, violate their rights, more and more ways to, um, avoid scrutiny. And this is, this is now 
Epi, who's been there from the beginning, who saw it decline into that, coming back and saying, you know, this is something that we can fight against. This is something that there are specific actions that each person can take, even if they're very, very small. So that was cool. Yeah, I mean, Epi's a great character, and it's actually, I can't remember if it's revealed in this chapter or shortly after this, but basically, she she will eventually figure out that Narius basically poisoned her. In fact, I think she has already figured that out. I don't know if we've proved it yet in the book, but the reason that she was struggling to keep up is that she was attacked. And so she started what's basically an internet war. Um, going on to all the, I mean, this is the 90s idea of the internet. So she goes on to all of the important BBS message boards and starts posting. I, I keep getting reminded of Ender's yeah. Game. She just goes on the internet and tries to use reasonable debate and it works. Which is magic. Right. This just harkens back to the better days of society. But, well, it goes back to honestly like a pre-revolutionary idea of what the internet is, which is like people who are trying to have intellectual debates and discussions with each other in like a reasonable format as opposed to people bored out of their mind just trying to have fun. Right. I actually disagree with that concept of Epi. Because while yes, she does go and make information public. There's an additional part of what she's doing online, which is something that is entirely possible, and that is um, misdirecting uh, the, the forces of the Empire towards other things um it's she contacted individuals who were on the ground in order to um damage the repulsor lift coil factory and so on and so forth and these are paralleled in the modern age um with different cybersecurity attacks and such that have occurred as a part of um protesting as a part of um attacking um other governments and such i mean that's that's all very very accurate she's just taking a multi-pronged approach to it it's true and i mean i she's kind of also i think she's doing some light cyber attacks as well trying to yeah like messing up the municipal systems and she's um we actually will get to this in a second but she's got a device that lets her hack into the stormtrooper command channels um, That's been prepared prior to. It was something that Orn prepared. Oh, I to missed give that. To Gariel. Ah, oh, hey. Yeah. What a good, good, good catch. Boy, boy, did they do a great job. <laughs> well, as you know, you see that in the the TV shows as well um, with uh, Star Wars Rebels that. Um, occurs just before um a new hope um it's like five years before a new hope um that the rebel alliance operates um much like um other seditious uh organizations in that they have separated disconnected cells of rebels 
who work independently and only have maybe one or two connections with each other. And that's done to protect um, massive sections of an organization and to protect more vulnerable people um, who want to help and to protect their spies and so on and so forth. Um, and so this, for, for all of its cheesiness, um, this is where we get into more the heart of the, the political aspects of the Star Wars universe where it is reflecting things that you can find in the world today throughout all of history and such as effective methods of fighting unjust governments. Well, that's what I find so fascinating too, is that that's why it's called the rebel Alliance and not just the rebels. Like it's also not like it, it led some context to the original trilogy too, because it's not just that the empire is trying to find the only rebel base in existence. There are lots of rebel bases. They're trying to find the one rebel base that has the high command that actually coordinates all the separate cells of the rebellion together and also and, you more know, likely Luke. the rebel base with the actual military might to do anything especially when you have right. like a scattered cell kind of concept of the rebellion this is more than likely its tactical branch or its um offensive unit which means right. once if you the rebels need that, to send somebody in to support a cell that's where you get the crack commandos and uh in in the legends universe i think they even and I'm not sure if they get mentioned in this book or if they're only mentioned in the supplement for the RPG from this book that I have. There's a there's a group of commandos. I can't remember their their name. The rebels commandos. There's, there's like a, a specific set of commandos. Pages uh, commandos. Yeah, pages commandos that Lieutenant get tossed around a lot. Yeah. And Lieutenant Page <clears throat> is sort of this like he's in. I don't think he's in any of the movies, and he's never like the main character. But it's like if the rebellion needs a commando squad. They've got Paige's commandos to go do it. And it's just this one. I, I assume that somewhere out there, he's got his own like series of dime novels because he's like passed over by all these other heroes. Well, he's, but he yeah. has to be like the, the, the luckiest person in the rebellion to survive all the stupid things they send Paige's commandos to do. I mean, excuse you, Wedge and Tilly is friends <laughs> with Luke Skywalker. Well, and <laughs> also maybe... Maybe at this point, Paige's commandos, like, they've transcended him as an individual, and so Paige <laughs> is a role taken on. And so maybe Paige has died <laughs> many, many times. like Batman. <laughs> maybe it is a mantle passed from one to another. Yeah, I could legitimately see Paige's commandos being similar to um, Leroy in uh, World War II. Hmm. I was going to say Leroy true. Jenkins in I, That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. that's well, where I was going Leroy with. Leroy was a, a symbol of a, a little a little guy who is looking over a wall and such. And um, you mean who, Kilroy? Or yeah, Kilroy, not Leroy. Okay, close enough. Look, okay, I, yeah, no, I, 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 I have an eclectic mix of culture <laughs> and weirdly specific historical knowledge. And sometimes wires get crossed. It let, it let Jason and I bond so over Kilroy. World of Warcraft memes, so we're good. Kilroy Jenkins! Kilroy was a symbol, was um, a little graffiti doodle <laughs> that um, somebody who was probably bored out of their mind at some point, started drawing on locations after um, this particular person had um, done something 
to upset um, the balance of power. Uh, it was used by snipers and so on and so forth. And the the, the Third Reich and and uh, their forces devoted special resources just to try and find Kilroy because Kilroy <laughs> was everywhere, and he was. <laughs> He was single-handedly <laughs> destroying so many important things. And it was actually just a World War II Allied Forces meme. Uh, see, I, did, I knew that it existed as a doodle, but I didn't realize that the Germans actually thought it was just one guy. Yeah, well, and see, see, so I'm wondering if, if this commandos group is actually literally just a rebel alliance meme that has been perpetuated <laughs> as a single group in order to completely and totally freak out the empire. Because I would no. love it, actually. Well, I what I'm picturing in my mind now is that every rebel unit that succeeds on a mission, they're like, yeah, that was Paige's commandos. They did that. And yep. anytime any of them get caught or it doesn't go well, they're like, yeah, no, that was us. Like, Paige's commandos would have gotten <laughs> you, but that was us. Like, uh, well, and utilizing that and and having in mind something very, very simple to reference, something very, very hard to catch, is a really, really great way for rebels who are um, in particularly vulnerable positions to avoid more damaging retaliation. Mm-hmm. It's similar to the idea of Princess Leia coming on um, and being captured by Darth Vader and being like, I'm on a diplomatic mission right. <laughs> to Alderaan. Right. <laughs> Plans? I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, maybe Paige's commandos are in the area. Have you considered that? <laughs> <laughs> have you heard the news of our Lord and Savior, Paige's commandos? Oh, that's that's great. I love that. But also, no, what I was going to say before is that it's it's also an idea that we see carried through um, kind of the general mythos behind the Rebel Alliance, even moving into the current um, universe, because in Rogue One, that's very much the same idea that we have. Um, like that is the same. It's It's very much the same sort of thing that goes on when they go to the Scarif base. You have the idea that like there is a cell of the rebels that are kind of responsible for most of the hard hitting actual like military operations behind the war and that they're getting information and support from a bunch of other smaller cells. Yeah. Speaking so, of small cells of revolutionaries. <laughs> yes. Uh, Epi uh, herself, the smallest of cells being herself. Uh, and no one else at this moment, attempts to double her forces by explaining in a gleeful tone everything that she's doing to upset the Empire, and then asking point-blank if Gariel is with her or against her. Which floors Gariel, because she's pretty much like... how much time it would have saved Orn if Epi had been the one handling Gariel? Yeah, really. (laughs) Because, and, and here's an interesting distinction between the two characters... Orn is all like, I have to be gentle with her. I have to be careful. 
Peppy, as soon as she's speaking again, because she's been aware of stuff uh, during a lot of this, um, it's just straight up like, hey, F- hey, hey, Gariel, uh, so fun fact, I'm a rebel, so's Orn, everybody you know and love is a rebel, wanna help us? <laughs> You're already kind of guilty by association, so... You know, you can't make this a lot worse. Um, you may as well join us in a crazy, crazy plots. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> We're gonna be some wild and a crazy rebels. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> this makes Gariel think about it for a second, because she's she's absolutely horrified that Epi wants to overthrow the Empire on Bakura. She's afraid of the consequences of rising up against the Empire right now. She really doesn't want to side with the Rebellion, and, and particularly is confused about the way she feels about Luke. And then she actually realizes that there is no way in the universe that she can pick Governor Narius over Epi, and very quietly says, all right, fine, I'll join up with the Rebels. See, see, the problem here is Governor Nereus um, did not um, make himself a sugar daddy. <laughs> he, he simply did not. That's the problem. <laughs> the punchline is he simply did not. He tried, though, because he has all of the CDs of music on the planet. Right, right, but that, 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 um insults sugar daddies and also <laughs> sugar mamas because see a a, a true uh, a true um sugar person um, <laughs> sugar, a, a true sugar individual I, someone I shall who now lives the sugar life the, the potentially um um gender neutral form of the term sugar daddy i'm going to call them sugar cubes <laughs> um so it's insulting to sugar cubes, though, because they don't, by nature, withhold things, and then your only route to get them is through them. That's controlling, that's manipulative, that is not um, supportive in any way. A true and appropriate sugar cube um, is a sugar cube because they want to support a younger individual and in turn um, have that companionship and affection that so often elder people miss out on because mm -hmm. of the way society is structured. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that they would prevent their... Um, we're going to uh for sugar babies we're going to refer them to them <laughs> as spoonfuls um i was gonna say sugar grains little grains of sugar that's fair um but a spoonful of sugar um but <laughs> sugar baby is itself gender neutral so <laughs> that is fair um but uh sugar babies would not in, in a healthy dynamic, if you will, um, be prevented from accessing things on their own. It's just that if they could not get the resources to access it on their own, their sugar cube would help 
give them more ways of accessing it or give them more power to access it. That's the exact opposite of what Governor Nereus has done. And that is what differentiates Governor Nereus from an actual sugar cube such as Epi. Thank you I... for coming to me. <laughs> <laughs> Drop in sugar beets. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there we go. You could just snip that part of the episode right out and entitle it How Governor Narius Could Have Won Everything. <laughs> <laughs> if he had just upheld the ideals of the sugar cube, he would have been fine. <laughs> As it is, things have gone downhill. (laughs) So, Epi, having finally won over Gariel with a point-blank question of whether or not she will rebel or not, um, starts handing Epi orders and uh, directions and dangerous technological devices and says, go find the rebels. And and I need you to do this and this and this, and here's this thing that lets you tell stormtroopers what to do over the command channel, so use it wisely. Um... And speaking of um, people with electronics knowledge who are not going to use them wisely, Gariel immediately runs into R2-D2, who is trying to tell her something, but she can't understand R2 in any way. So instead they settle for screwing with the Stormtrooper orders. Yes. Um, And trying to find Luke. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Luke, Luke still does not remember to tell Chewbacca not to shoot the stormtrooper that walks like C-3PO. <laughs> so Chewbacca shoots the stormtrooper that walks like C-3PO. I don't C-3PO. think it was forgetting. I think Luke right. Skywalker thought it would be funny. This was intentional. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a funny joke, too, because uh, for some reason, Chewbacca fired a stun shot. I think he was the only one that remembered that they're not supposed to just throw the truce out the window at the first sign of trouble. So he stuns the stormtrooper. And then when he takes the helmet off and realizes that it's C-3PO, he is annoyed specifically because that means he's going to have to do a lot of diagnostics. He just <laughs> did those, remember? He exactly. did those a couple weeks ago. This is, I mean, C-3PO has been through some crap since the Empire Strikes Back. And guess who was in charge of fixing him? Chewbacca. I don't want to know how Chewbacca, Chewbacca became designated there, like, 3PO repairman. No! I just fixed this pile of shit. (laughs) Chewbacca deserves to be stressed about that. That's fair. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's valid because, yeah. I mean, if if I just had the same thing that I had to deal with, you know, just recently get blown up again. So Chewie drags the, um, I guess, broken C-3PO back aboard (laughs) the Millennium Falcon to begin trying to fix it. (laughs) And uh, Luke, who uh, caused all of this, is still sitting in a cantina waiting for word from the flurry. Uh, And considering his menu options. Yeah. (laughs) This uh, diner food is, let's say, not appetizing. Notes that you should be somewhat detached and such, but... Luke Skywalker looked at that and was like, does this mean I can focus on food during, like, a global uprising? I think that that's what that means. <laughs> so, yeah, as we, we, we mentioned briefly last week that uh, Luke orders food for three because he plans to eat with himself and Chewbacca. Uh, and then is just kind of sitting around waiting for the food to be served. Uh, when suddenly Gariel and R2-D2 burst in. 
And Gariel kind of briefly explains that uh, she's on his side now. And Luke's like, oh, cool. <laughs> Luke's like, girlfriend? Yeah, he's like, all right, cool. That's out of the way. I'm uh, Here's a gun. <laughs> Luke is like, so he now we're He gets down on one knee and what pulls a out a gun thing. out, and then he hands just, it over. Just give your loved one a gun. <laughs> it's a Skywalker family tradition. Here's a weapon. <laughs> I mean, there are worse family traditions to have. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, especially since she's... she's uh, uh, very vulnerable. I mean, the, the gun gift makes sense since um, he's a wanted criminal. And um, I mean, you want to give somebody something they're going to use. But right. we're about to have a first in the Skywalker lifetime because after everyone who's ever tried to kill a Skywalker, we have never had a bunch of dinosaurs break in to stun a Skywalker. <laughs> Explicitly not kill a Skywalker. Led okay. by a man in a stripy robe. Can we go ahead and start the tally now of weird <laughs> of weird things that zap Luke Skywalker in this canon? Because there is a long list. I will pull up my notes app and just make a note. Because this is this is entry one. Luke Skywalker zapped by weird space dinosaurs. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's been plenty. Skywalker. There was, there was the the lightsaber whip thing, wasn't there? Well, there didn't were also, actually, oh, there are so didn't it shock things. people? There are also the... Um, There's a lot of things. Not the Jinnah Hodarian. That's a different thing. Um, Jemadar. <laughs> there are also... What are they called? Dang it. Um, they're the weird assassins that worked for Vader. Um, oh, the, the uh, Nogri. The Nogri. Yeah, there's the, there's the whole scene where the Nogri attack them in the middle of like a weird festival. And yes. like end up capturing all of them. So like, there's that. That's definitely Luke getting zo- shocked by a weird thing. Um, I'm I mean, almost... really, the, the consequence of having, like, 20-some years of books means that if you can't kill off the main characters, you need a lot of creative ways to incapacitate them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have created True. an official tally called there Luke Stun Luke. This is <laughs> noted as Luke Skywalker being attacked in stupid ways. Uh, first entry, <laughs> zapped by C. Rook in a cantina. That is, so what they beautiful. actually have, they have these things, and they're literally called paddle beamers. Um, and in that book that I read that had all the technology from Star Wars that scared me with the Intechnet machine, they had a picture of a paddle beamer, and it literally looks like someone weaponized a ping pong paddle. Um, <laughs> nice. with the handle being the barrel, and then the rest of it is like a handle. And they hold it like a phaser because they don't have enough fingers or articulation to hold a blaster. <laughs> that you know, is something that makes that, sense, though. That is something that actually bothers me to a great deal with most science fiction. Most of the creatures that they depict actually wouldn't be capable of space travel due to the fact that they don't have the ability for the fine articulation required to create that complex of machinery like i'm actually pretty sure in star wars they get around that with at least with the trandoshans by claiming another species uplifted them right and that's the part that another makes sense option is and and this is relevant um again in real life is what is called the social model of disability so in the social model of disability, something only counts as a disability if the society that you are in creates barriers because they assume everybody needs the same type of support. For example, in a society where 97% of people cannot use their legs, is the use of legs or lack thereof actually a disability? No, because society will then be structured assuming that people 
will not be walking around in the first place. And a person who can walk around would actually be disabled by that because ceilings might be significantly lower, doorways might be shorter, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So in the same manner, when we look at things like articulation of fingers and such with alien species, we have to consider, are the ways that we utilize technology and such actually completely and totally necessary? Mm -hmm. Or could a society reasonably create other methods of interaction because it is normal for them to interact with things in a different way? than what able-bodied people in our society do. I think that is a valid and an interesting point, and it definitely applies in a lot of directions. I think in a lot of ways, space travel, though, is kind of like welcome to the people who can walk upstairs and open doors club, which means if you like <laughs> have a society that doesn't have opposable thumbs, they kind of aren't necessarily able to get into that door. Even if they have lots of other creative ways to do other things, there's a point at which I'm not sure you can make an integrated circuit without thumbs. I don't know. Maybe they make prosthetic thumbs. I I would like to challenge any of our listeners to tape their thumbs up against their hands and try and uh, create... uh, basic technical pieces or put together basic technology. Um, or or play the piano. Honestly, or play the piano. I would also be deeply impressed by that. I, I, am, I am pretty sure I can contact some amateur radio operators who are disabled. Um, I do, I've run into at least one amateur radio operator um, who is a double hand amputee. And oh, wow. who repairs his own devices. So I could certainly um, look into that specific aspect of Star Wars technology and other sci-fi stuff um, from that perspective. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it is. Well, I, I could I could give an example. It's not Star Wars, but um, who you guys watch uh, the Orville? No, but I've heard about no. it. Uh, Yafit, the uh, the slime ball dude. He's he's just a, a ball of slime that run, that's, that walks around or well oozes around. Oh, to be a ball of slime in space. <laughs> but it's it's kind of oh, like to be unconfined by skin. He kind of takes the the. I like my skin. Thanks. It, it's kind of the the thing of like you know they they took kind of the Star Trek shapeshifter thing and was like well what if what if they can't change shape at all you know what they're just like a ball of goo that just rolls around and you know has appendages that can snap out and push buttons and stuff <laughs> it's hilarious plus it's plus it's voiced by norm mcdonald so <laughs> nice that's fantastic so armed with their strange ping pong lasers the sea rook show up there's i think three of them uh, and dev is with them and as what he's described as having been wearing a stripy robe so you can decide what color stripes. I like to think of it as the same kind of robe that that one guy that tried to cut off Yugi's legs was wearing in the tournament arc of Yu-Gi-Oh! Where they're wearing like oh a blue God. and magenta oh, robe. <laughs> it looks really weird. Smiling and nodding again. Yeah. <laughs> this reference I also don't get, so I'm with Jason. <laughs> 
I've never even watched the show. I've just watched the abridged series. Um, <laughs> abridged so, anime are the best. <laughs> Luke tries to have a civil conversation with the dinosaurs and Dev and explain that he can't go with them uh, and that things are going to go badly if they try to fight with him. Uh, and then Luke says, look, if this goes south, I have no other weapon than my lightsaber. And that is impossible to fight non-lethally with. Dev is mortally offended and shocked. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody said anything about killing. If you kill the sea rook away from their homeworld, and I just realized that the show notes say if you kill them away from their homework, um, <laughs> their souls will wander the galaxy forever and able to be at rest. Uh, and Luke basically says, well, then don't attack me. And I won't have to do that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Luke is just like, that seems like a personal problem. That they exactly. He's like, I'm sorry. That's that's not my problem right now. If you don't that, attack me, it's going to be your problem That also seems like well. a very like fundamental philosophy that would encourage pacifism and isolationism, not expansionistic violence. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a weakness in their grand societal plan to conquer the galaxy if they can't die anywhere but this one planet. Yeah, they're like, we can't die anywhere else but our home planet, so let's move. <laughs> consider, though, consider, though, what if they just told of that and it's not true? That's possible. Uh, yeah, it could just be brainwashing. That is That is fair. I'm going to step out on a limb. And say, I think it's the writer trying to be clever about world building. But I could <laughs> be wrong. Fair. They also oh, note that that's why I the Sea Rook use battle droids, though, for most of their jobs, is that they don't want to directly expose themselves. So they have these battle droids to go out and do it for them. Now, why they decided to come directly to the planet themselves to do this, I don't know. Oh, because they've already established that the battle droids and um, Luke are um a bad combination oh yeah okay i forgot about that yeah yeah so that's part of person. the reason why um dev sibawara ended up getting um reprogrammed again mm-hmm. was because that's during correct. his refreshment <laughs> um <laughs> they uh they found out that um he sensed a strong force user and that was part of the reason why their attack didn't work and why one of the um human spirit powered ships um started attacking others so they're probably sitting there like there is no other way of handling this and they've already established too that they don't trust the puics and they yeah, don't they're, trust they're like slave subservient so, subspecies so they they don't really have any other option and they're arrogant enough to assume that they can handle a single force user Probably specifically because they've handled Dev since mm-hmm. he was a very small child. Yeah, but Dev doesn't have a lightsaber. Also, I'm assuming they sent red scales down to do this just in case. Wow. <laughs> that is some silence for a terrible Star Trek joke. Oh, oh, oh. I, I just uh, now got it. I thought okay. I was sitting there being like, wait, red scale. I remember there I'm, was this Yeah, I'm trying to think. Guy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That is wow. a yep. Okay, that was probably the joke, joke that like flopped the hardest today. David, wow. In David, the history you are of Star the Wars. worst. Get off. No, I'll, I'll give you. Podcast. I'll give you points because once I figure it out, like, okay, that's awesome. No, I mean, but, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a great. It's a great joke once you figure out the joke and realize that there's a Star Trek joke being made in a Star Wars podcast, which is already blasphemy. <laughs> 
Oh, well, that's the end of the chapter. I'm gonna go log <laughs> off now and cry. <laughs> and contemplate your life. Exactly. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, tell my wife that I'm funny. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> she already knows it's not true. <laughs> I was about to say, I know your wife, and she's right. <laughs> anyway, David, this has been a wonderful episode of Legends of the New Republic. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at aka Agent Shades, where I promise that I will only be making continual jokes all the time. <laughs> and I'm Chris, and David is funny, but not all the time. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm Jason, and um, yeah, I don't have anything else right now. And I'm. Have. You can find me on Twitter at Seagull Soup. Please, please tweet me with your great creations that don't involve the use of your thumbs. Well, thank you once again for listening, and we will catch you next time for more Truce at Bakura, which we are almost done with, actually. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It will be very fun to move on to another book that doesn't involve <laughs> dinosaurs. Blasphemy! <laughs> 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 <laughs>